Welcome to PIP Podcast number 21. In this episode, we are talking waste-free living. PIP editor Robin Rosenfeld speaks with Lauren and Oberon Carter, featured in issue 14, our No Waste Issue. We discuss how they came to live a waste-free life and explore the potential hurdles and obstacles many of us face when trying to reduce waste. We hope you enjoy this episode. So today we're talking with Lauren and Oberon Carter from Tasmania, who are the authors of the fabulous book, A Family Guide to Waste-Free Living. Now this book is filled with lots of great practical information about how to reduce waste in all areas of your life. And it's also got beautiful photos and it's got a lot to do with how to shift your way of thinking so that reducing your waste becomes easier. So what what started your interest in reducing waste in your life? Um, well, I guess if we take it back, we did PDCs um, in 2013 and 14. And then in 2015, we wanted to um, directly implement a bit more um, permaculture thinking in our home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not just the garden, but inside our home as well. So we kind of thought about different ways we could do that. And I sat down and and wrote out this list and one of the, I guess, the most practical ways that we thought we could do that was to work really hard on reducing our waste. And I made a list of all of these things that we could do um, and where we could buy food and all of that that sort of thing. And then I completely forgot about it for about six months. Mm. And Um, as you often do when you make those sort of lists. But I, I guess the seed was planted in our minds to do that. Um, and then out of the blue, we were, uh, there was a, a challenge through sustainable living Tasmania to find, uh, was it Hobart's most sustainable family? And so there was another family and us, and we were, we actually had some, um, uh, consultants that came and sort of coached us through a few different sustainable changes that we could make so they helped us with our energy do an energy audit and keep track of water and things like that um but we kind of knew that we had to really ramp it up if we wanted to have a chance of winning the competition i can see a reality (laughs) tv show here (laughs) it was kind of like that um i didn't even realize that i'd entered it and what it was going to be like but um so they um, uh, then what? <laughs> well, then, then we, we realised that we already were pretty good at keeping light switches off and keeping our, we thought we were pretty good at keeping our electricity and water use fairly low. We already thought, well, we're recycling heaps, so we already compost, have chooks and we compost stuff. So mm. what can we do? And Lauren suggested that let's just try to go for this period of two weeks without making a single piece of waste. Right, uh, and so that that was kind of the challenge that we set ourselves. Uh, and I think that makes it doable, doesn't it? Just going, it's not like let's do this forever. Let's just start with two weeks and see if we can do yeah. it. Yeah, let's see how we go for that little time period. And it didn't seem quite so daunting. Mm. And the kids were totally on board with it. They thought it was great, and yeah. they were really excited to be part of something like that—a mm. challenge. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, we we spent the next two weeks. Well, the the next week we um, 
researched everything in detail. We bumped into a friend at a bulk food shop and asked him for some tips on how to do things and then we went for it for two weeks. Um, no rubbish, landfill waste and no recycling and um, we got to the end of that and we were really shocked at how easy it was. Right, okay. Um, for us to do anyway, it was. It had really not affected our day-to-day lives that much at all and if anything it was kind of exciting and fun Mm. so um we decided to just keep going with it and were there any things in particular that you were difficult to try and either replace or do without or you just kind of went along with it and you were okay uh I, i think it probably when you think about the foods that you consume in the kind of middle aisles of a supermarket mm. um, and and it's usually the anything that's processed mm. or more high processed that's part of your diet um, there might not be an immediate substitute for it um, that's like a one-for-one substitute so for some things we were just saying no you know we're not gonna we're not gonna have Tim Tams anymore mm. um, but if we're wanting to meet a need around having some sort of sweet food, then we looked at alternatives. So Lauren was baking food and we found that we could get some sweets in bulk uh, into our own bags. And so we just problem solved those sorts of things as we went along. Mm. Um, there were some things like cheese that we couldn't uh, find a, an option that didn't have packaging involved. Yeah. Uh, and so we went without having cheese for the first year and and then a local dairy um, sort of started up again after it had been uh, out of action for a few years and they they were producing this amazing cheese that we could get put straight into our into our own containers and so then yeah we we treat that as a luxury item now because it's it's quite expensive so we only have a little bit mm. um, but but we also have a real high regard for how much work and effort goes into producing some foods such as cheese. Um, so we, we eat less and we just savour it more. Mm. Um, but really there, there wasn't a lot of other things that where we felt, oh, this is, this is going to be like some ongoing mental challenge for us to be able to, to live this way. We got to the end of that first fortnight and we – talked with the kids about it and we're like we couldn't see any good reason to go back to how we were consuming before because yeah. our baseline we did an audit before it and our baseline was 100 pieces of rubbish and roughly 100 pieces of recycling in a single week yeah uh, so we just couldn't justify going back uh, given that it wasn't that much of a ch- shift for us to actually get down to zero mm. we were very surprised that it didn't actually cost us a lot more money. We had expected that it was going to be really expensive, but I think, if anything, we saved money mm. initially, and um, that was really surprising. Mm. I was going um, to ask you that, yeah, because I think some people think, well, if you're going to get all these things, like often food at the bulk whole food shop might be a bit more expensive than if you buy it in a packet at the supermarket, but you didn't find that. Yeah. Yeah, for some some products are and some aren't, and I think sometimes the ones that are more expensive in bulk or at the bulk food store is because 
the the brands or or the the um, food that's being provided in bulk is also a, a fair trade or an organic mm. product, or it's something that means that it's um, it's going to cost more because there's less being produced. It's less of a mass market um, item. Um, but we did definitely find that it's real swings and roundabouts. Some things are cheaper, some things are more expensive. We were able to buy exactly the amount that we needed, so mm. we didn't. We weren't having to buy a big bag of something and have effectively a wasted product that we didn't need after we'd finished using it. Um, and we were also making some of our own products, like toothpaste and things like that, out of bulk ingredients. And it made it all a lot cheaper than if we were buying tubes of toothpaste. And if we were buy instead of buying expensive jars of jam, we were making our own jam. Mm. So <clears throat> sort of swings and roundabouts there to the extent that overall uh, it, there actually wasn't much of a change in the amount of money that we were spending on food week to week. Uh, it, it's just that we, uh, if you look at a single ingredient, sometimes the bulk one will be more expensive. But it might mean, okay, we've got to consume a bit less of that product yeah. or we want to decide if we're going to continue to buy that product, where else can are there savings to be made in the way that we're living? And uh, it really helps if, for us anyway, it helped us to be doing everything at once mm. uh, in that regard. Mm. Otherwise, we've fallen into the trap of going to a bulk food store, seeing half a dozen expensive products and saying, well, that's ridiculous, we can't do that, rather than looking at the bigger picture at where we could actually save money as well and mm. what we were willing to reduce our consumption of. Uh, yeah, we reduced our consumption of meat, I'd say, mm -hmm. um, and dairy uh, because the dairy that we're buying now is in returnable glass bottles and it's organic milk. Um, yeah. It's a beautiful product and uh, great farming practices, so we're happy to support them. Um, yep. But it's it's a fair bit more expensive, so we're buying less of it. Um, so there has there have been a few gentle dietary shifts, mm. I'd say as well, um, which have been beneficial for us too. Mm. Um, well, I think it's doing... sort of making you see the real cost of things. So rather than, I mm. mean, you get things cheap because they're grown or produced in a way that isn't good for the environment or the people doing it. So if you are actually going back to those simple products then you're kind of paying what it costs to get someone to mm. make it ethically yeah and, and you if you're buying a really cheap um product that then you might be externalizing the costs in in the sense that there might be workers that are suffering mm. in making that product. there might be or not not earning a, a living wage or there might be um, parts of the environment that are being destroyed um, to, to produce this product. And so uh, I guess this comes to the point that it's so much about knowing, if you're talking about food, knowing where your food comes from, how it's produced, how far it's travelled, what kind of energy has gone into making it, how are the workers treated, how is the land treated or the sea or whatever it is. Mm. Um, and the more that you know around that, the better your choices can be. And we, we, we continue that to to this day when we're thinking about our food choices and trying to, I guess, refine them. Um, for example, we've had an ongoing, you know, dilemma about bananas, which mm. are a 
of it were, you know, have been a, a sort of a staple fruit in our household for for many years, but we recognise that they are travelling uh, three or four thousand kilometres from from Queensland, mm. uh, and is that the embodied energy in you know fossil fuels in transporting those bananas and uh, manufacturing them uh, to grow them and and so forth and and process them is that is that something we can justify living in Tasmania where our local fruits are you know apples and berries, berries and things like that and so we um we have these discussions on a regular basis <laughs> yeah. to work out what what we're willing to kind of not necessarily compromise but shift to to have a more um a a diet and a way of living that's just a bit more sensitive to to our local conditions mm. and where we live. So do you have it's some things that, that you know, you know, maybe aren't great, but you kind of have them occasionally as a treat, like bananas, say, or, or do you kind of just go, no, nah, we're not having that at all? Um, it really depends on the product. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit. <clears throat> we kind of we tend to save mangoes for. Christmas stockings and everyone really looks forward to that because it's a bit of a luxury yeah Um, but yeah we just try and minimize it as much as possible and we really um, focus on the seasons that we're in yeah and um, so when it's berry season we go nuts and Mm. pick all the and then preserve them and make jam and enjoy them for dessert every day of the week and Mm. (laughs) really relish that time it's exciting so um, there's products we have um, blanket said no to. So we used to buy, you know, fancy maple syrup, Canadian maple syrup in those ornate bottles. Yeah. And uh, real, we realised that shipping that sweetener from the other side of the world um, was not a, a really sensible way for us to meet any kind of sweet needs that we had. <laughs> so we switched to buying local honey. And we don't we don't ever consume um, or we don't ever buy bottled maple syrup or even bulk maple syrup, knowing that mm. it's having to travel far. Yeah, particularly because it's a liquid, it's um, a bit, it's a really heavy. Yeah, yeah. So it's more so we're still getting fuels to get here. So it's yeah, it's still a refining process. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we do have honey, which has the same effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, what... and so sometimes. That recipes are being slightly modified. Mm. Uh, yeah, tweak lots of recipes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. get creative. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I'm interested in is how you've gone with your kids on this journey because I know often you as adults can have a great intention but sometimes it's hard to kind of bring your kids along for the ride or there's certain things that they really want to keep having and that don't fit into your parameters or... You know, maybe their friends have it and they want to have it too. How, how's your, how have the kids gone with all of this? Um, I think that they've been actually really committed to it from the beginning. Um, there are occasionally things that they talk about and they remember from yeah. before. Sometimes there are things that they don't remember, like Maisie doesn't know what a Tim Tam is, we discovered the other day. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> <laughs> they were obviously a big hit in your household prior to this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we, yeah, we haven't had anything like that since then. So yeah, but they've been really quite committed to it. So they'll go out 
to friends' houses or parties or whatever and, and they are able to choose what they want to consume and be part of. Mm. Um, sometimes that's affected whether they want to be part of something because they they <laughs> have felt left out. They, you, the girl guides. Yeah, do you yeah, mention that? They did girl guides yeah. uh, for about a year and then it came to selling all the biscuits and <laughs> they couldn't. Themselves because there was so much plastic everywhere. Yeah. So um, they realised that they that probably wasn't for them. But mm-hmm. um, in general, they 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 don't really feel like they're missing out on anything. We if they're going for a sleepover at a friend's house, we might stop off and pick up some bulk lollies for them to take and share. Yeah. Um, we've managed to find alternatives for just about everything um so I, the, none of us really feels like we're missing out on anything in particular mm. uh, and i think that's been helpful we also uh talk about it lots together mm. yeah, always it sounds have like always yeah, you've, plastic and, you've shared yeah. that yeah. journey with them from the beginning and made it a family effort is that kind of yes yeah, they, they have a really good grasp of why we would want to reduce waste mm. and the effects of waste in an ecosystem and even us as humans in our own ecosystem and how we're interacting with all of the plants and animals and the environment around us and why, you know, things like plastic might not be great in those systems. Yeah, and, and doing, like, we've gone on, we go on a lot of nature walks with them, so they, they can see what is happening with waste products out in nature mm. and we... You know, if we're looking at fungi and we're talking about decomposition and that sort of thing, or if we're going to the beach and we're doing litter cleanups, there's lots of ways where we can be out in the world. Or if we're at a public event and they see a lot of litter at some event, then we can talk, we have a conversation about that and what might be some of the solutions. And they have been participants in helping to find solutions for some of the problems that they're seeing in their community. Mm. So they've, they've got this um, sense of empowerment that they can actually contribute and make a positive difference. And I think that might be a, a bit of an internal motivator for them as well, mm. knowing that, that they have that, um, that they're not just this sort of, that we're not imposing something on them, that they're having to re- resent us to, mm. to have to participate in their we're, this is part of a family agreement to do this. And because Lauren and I are often having conversations in the kitchen or whatever about whatever the day's waste discussion is online and the kids are sort of passively hearing it all and yeah. and often piping in with comments about it and, you know, developing their own opinions around these topics, it's all, yeah, it's we, all part of it. We also do all the shopping together as a group, so mm. Oberon and the girls and I will all be there together and we problem solve everything as a team. Yeah. So I think they've kind of enjoyed that problem solving process a mm. bit as well. Um, yeah. yeah so given, and being given I, that responsibility and their voice being yeah. heard and having a say, they're not just being told what to do. That's yeah. right. And, and I mean, the fact that our kids are home educated is likely to be, um, you know, somewhat influential in that they don't have a large group of kids the same age every day mm. kind of Who are influencing all packet. 
<laughs> to buy the latest crap food or, yeah, exactly. or spinner or plastic toy or whatever it is, mm. um, they're still influenced by that through the friends that they have they and do online. They have friends that go to school, but um, generally that's, yeah, it's not really so, been a huge issue. No, it? sometimes that if um, like our younger kids have wanted a particular toy and they know that buying it new would come with a lot of plastic packaging, we've looked at secondhand Mm. Um, options mm. that you get online like through um, Gumtree or eBay or whatever and then you talk with the seller about um, sending it in compostable packaging you know so that you can actually end up getting the thing that you want with as minimal amount of sort of waste in that mm. process um, and but- it, even like when Audrey wanted an iPad for mm. her art and we found a place that does refurbished kind of um second-hand um, devices, so she bought one of those. Yeah. So we can we try to find the best solution that we can that's available to us, and, and I think that's what, you know, only that's the best anyone can do. Yeah. But yeah. sometimes about knowing what's what's out there, what your options are, and, and even being comfortable with buying second-hand. Um, so we've done a lot of talks at schools, and ki- we've found, well, one thing that we've found is that kids are endless in the questions that they have mm-hmm. about waste, and the, the ideas that they can come up for reducing it. Um, unfortunately, some of the talks that we give to kids uh, are in the absence of their parents. So the kids yeah. will go home and say to their parent, probably say to their parents, this was cool, I'd love to reduce my waste, but unless the parents are on board, um, yeah. they might not get much traction in that. Mm. But, um, yeah, they're... they're usually pretty receptive to waste, understanding that it's a problem, understanding that we need to reduce it. Mm. For, from every school that we've been to, there's been so much enthusiasm around this topic. I think because it's one thing that kids can do as individuals. Mm. Um, they, they can refuse stuff or look for alternatives. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they're not always going to be able to. There will be things in the home that they can't change or um, even at school that they can't change but it's in their mindset which Mm. is great and they kind of feel this sense of uh, responsibility from that which is terrific. Mm. And it's something that they create you know they're seeing every day so their actions are creating waste or not creating waste so they do have power over that to some degree. Mm. And uh I think I was going to say that when we go and talk to schools, often our kids are with us and we wear most of our clothes are secondhand, you know, and mm. our eldest will will proudly show off her outfit, which is completely secondhand. And yeah. you get a mixture of responses, but I get the sense that at schools it's not necessarily common to be totally cool with buying all your clothes at the tip shop or at the secondhand <laughs> shop. Mm. It's so so that's that's something that you it might be more challenging to normalise in mm. kind of a mainstream school. And more when they get older than when they're younger. Mm. Like my youngest yeah. daughter had this beautiful pink top that she'd actually got from the tip. It wasn't even really a tip shop, but <laughs> she'd say to her, look at this top I got at the tip. <laughs> and she was so Straight proud out. of it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's great. But yeah, yeah, if they get older so, sometimes, they don't think quite like that. 
Yeah, <laughs> but but there is um there is definitely part of the teen culture that we've seen through through Audrey that really appreciates and loves kind of vintage, retro, secondhand. Mm, yeah, Audrey's doing that, but also looking for natural fibers. She so we tend to avoid synthetic fibers because part of what we do is is we want to take responsibility of all of the things that we consume through to the end of their life. Mm. So that includes, you know, after we're done with that piece of clothing and it's worn through and it, and it, it can't be um, mended and we've used it as a rag, then it'll go out on the garden and, and be part of a sheet mulching system. Yeah. Um, so we're taking responsibility of that item through to its end. Or if it's a good piece of clothing that the kids have grown out of, then we might be rehoming it with yeah. someone else. Who yeah, can, passing who, it on to friends. Yeah. Um, but that we're generally avoiding synthetics as much as we can because they're just it's much more of a linear inevitably it's mm. a linear system sort of material and not to mention the synthetics that can come off into the water when they're being washed which can then yeah get into the waterways to depending on your water systems that's right mm. So how do you go when you have sort of visitors or well-meaning relatives that are giving you things that might be packaged or don't fit into your ethics? How do you navigate those situations? It's a tricky one. Um, Generally, people are really hyper-aware of not giving us things wrapped in plastic. They're, They're... probably better at it than we are a lot of the time. They put so much thought into it, which is really terrific. Um, It gets a little tricky when we have my family come and stay for Christmas Mm. (laughs) Um, because they're they're a lot more conscious of the waste that they're producing when they're in our house. Um, But we don't want them to be stressed or worried about that, that they are responsible for how they live and the choices they make. We're responsible for our own. So um, we do end up, that's probably the only time we end up with um, rubbish or recycling to Mm. put out is they bring that. Um, But it rubs off a little bit each time. Like mum rang ahead and there were a bunch of things that she wanted to, I think she got oysters and some seafood and stuff. And she rang the different places and ordered them and made sure that she could bring her container along That's and fill great. the container. So she's they're working on that. I've noticed that my parents are now shopping at bulk food shops and great. it's terrific. It just yeah. sort of filters on through. Uh, yeah. So we, we haven't really imposed our values on anyone else. We haven't said don't bring, um, I don't know, don't bring things in. If they bring things in packaging, they understand that they take the packaging with them. Mm. And that uh, we might not share in them. Sometimes we might, mm. yeah. but we're also offering them food that we've prepared and sharing the things that we have with them. So, yeah, we try not to be too preachy with people and just let them. They can do what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Where this is this is how we've chosen to live. Mm. And I find that people often will just observe that and have a think about it and maybe there are some things that we're doing that they hadn't considered Mm. and, um, yeah, they'll go away and process that and maybe take on some things or up something new. Mm. So that's pretty awesome. Mm. Yeah. And what about time? Do you think it's more time-consuming to 
produce less waste like when you need to sort of prepare things from scratch yourselves and how how might you sort of suggest that people who are a bit time poor can get around some of those issues um someone asked me this the other day they said how do you do all the cooking and I was I was kind of a bit I sort of thought about it for a second. I don't actually do a heap more cooking now than I was doing before. Mm. Um, One thing I do like to do is cook once and eat twice. So if I'm cooking something, I'll make a double batch of it. Very wise. I'll try to do that too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, which is great. So then I've got next week's, one of next week's meals done too. Um, Mm. So I do that. It, um, I think I make a snack maybe once a week that might be a cake or some muffins or something. The kids are now starting to bake things mm. too for themselves. Um, it's also part of our, we've made it more a part of our recreational activity. So whether it's foraging for food, um, mm. which is a bit of a pastime um, and, a, and a family outing, or it's uh, preserving day you have a few of those where you're often doing it with with the girls Mm, and it's just a big fun thing and then we're we've got all that food sitting in the cupboard for through the the cooler months and it's highly convenient and Mm. it's saving time because if you want a dessert you don't have to go down to the shops you've got it in your cup you know uh and so even with the shopping itself we find that that is uh less time consuming than shopping at a supermarket there's almost never any lines. I remember so much, so often having to wait in line at um, the big supermarkets. Uh, but if you're at a bulk food store, you've got less choice, uh, which means you've got less time trying to make those decisions. Mm. Um, fewer choices, and and you kind of go in and you know what you want. We we actually probably eat fewer ingredients than we used to. Mm. Um, and we ha- probably have a slightly smaller list of recipes and we just kind of rotate through those. Mm. Maybe. Maybe. So it's about the same, but we we don't, it never really feels like it's time consuming, but often we'll um, s- sort of stack our functions in, yeah. in, in the permaculture terminology. We'll stack our, um, our errands. So we'll go to the bulk food store um, well, just after dropping off or after we pick up one of the kids from one of their activities and then we might go to the butcher and the post office and do all that in one trip uh, and just sort of knock it on the head as part of what we're doing anyway. And it never mm. – actually, we've done our whole grocery shopping at the bulk food store in like 15 minutes. Mm, you know, great. you don't have to go up and down every aisle. You just go <laughs> in and you know what you want and you've got your, your jars and bags. And if you're putting it straight into jars – you come home and you put the jar on the shelf and that's done. There's no time spent un- unpacking, unpackaging mm. the item. You have to spend time putting it in a bin. You don't have to spend time cleaning a bin, walking a bin out to the street, bringing a, a bin back in from the street. Mm. None of that is in, in our weeks. So there are definitely time savings in that way of living. Mm. Yeah, and I'd say it would possibly even out. I'm busier now than I was before we were living waste free um with work and even writing the book and things like Mm. that have external things have made me busier now (laughs) but it it hasn't really 
meant that I haven't been able to fit in all of this extra stuff. It just might be perhaps our interests have shifted. Yeah. If we if we were only if we didn't write a book, we would have had heaps of time. Yeah. If we if, if I didn't spend so much time working on uh, zero waste Tasmania and other kind of education stuff to do with waste, then I'd have heaps more spare time. Mm. And so we've just the waste stuff has occupied our time, but not in living zero waste or living waste free, but in communicating yeah. those ideas outside yeah. of our house. Yeah, we don't have that hour long trawl around the supermarket anymore mm. that was a, always a big feature of our weekend and yeah. and i think things like the notion of making toothpaste or making like i have like a hair pomade wax thing that i i only have to make maybe once a year or once every six months yeah um and the toothpaste is only being made what once every couple of months yeah maybe. yeah it's not very often and it's really quick. You just got to grab bicarb and coconut, and coconut oil and some essential oil and you yeah. whip it up in five minutes and it's done. Yeah. Uh, and that's once every couple of months. So it's it's Forget not like a, the supermarket. Yeah, there might be some impression that that living this way requires a daily kind of strict routine of allotting many hours mm. to your reducing waste activities, but it never feels like that. Mm. It doesn't feel like that at all. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the other thing is when you've got food in the garden and you're cooking dinner and you realise you haven't got something, it's much quicker to step out to the garden and grab it than it is to have to drive all the way to the shop and exactly. go and get it. So, yeah. so speaking yeah, about that, so you grow a fair bit of your own food? Uh, less since we were writing the book. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Things <laughs> kind of a bit there. Yeah. But um, We'd love to we, more. when we uh, when the girls were really little, we planted a lot of perennials um, in our backyard. So that kind of takes care of most of our fruit yeah. and lots of snacks. So I can throw the kids outside for afternoon tea, and they mm. can find most yeah. of our herbs. Um, and we have chooks, um, so eggs are covered. Um, but yeah, most of our herbs are all our sort of perennial things are taken care of. The annual beds have been the thing that I find they're more time consuming. So mm. we've not kept up so well with them, but we've managed to get food. Mm. I'd say we eat from the garden daily. Mm. Something. So like a couple of years ago, we had a really bumper crop of tomatoes and it was enough to see us through, but this year it, it was, and it was common for a lot of people in southern Tassie that they didn't have a bumper crop of tomatoes. But we ended up going to the farm gate market and buying like their cheap seconds, like super cheap seconds mm. into in, um, bags. And Lauren made like preserved dozens of, of jars of tomatoes to, to get us through the year. Um, and so in a good year, we'll grow our own completely. And in a not great year, we might have to supplement it with buying the, um, some foods in season in, and in bulk, cheap yep. prices. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so that's that's pretty much how we do it, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, like and... a successful garlic crop for years on end, yeah. and we just and that's a that's a, like a some of those things we don't really even think about too much. No, <laughs> we we might we might forget how much we actually produce. It just happens. Mm, like yeah. we've got a. A fully laden persimmon tree sitting in the front yard that's soon to be harvested to to make um, hoshigaki, um, so that we'll have dried persimmons. dried persimmons 
for the next year or so. Mm. And uh, it's just, it, you don't have to maintain it really at yeah. all. It just does the thing. It's mm. awesome. That's the great thing about perennials. Uh, and we just have a suburban-sized block. I don't know if we mentioned that, but it's just okay. like it's at 850 square metres. It's it's not a, not super, like we're not on a self-sufficient rural property doing this. We're in, a, in the, the middle of the burbs. Yeah. And we have wonderful neighbours who have an incredible lemon tree that they're always happy to share with us. I mm. think that's kept going through a few winters too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when so, you, yeah, sharing great. And when you've got access to a great farmer's market, it, you don't have to be the grower of everything. You can rely on your own community and those people out there who are excelling and focusing on growing and you can focus on things like making books and mm. communicating. Yeah, and we've... We, we uh, set up a little share and swap kind of stand in the front yard where we would put excess produce and seeds of, of our own and um, offered for people to take those and if they wanted they could leave something um, f in return to mm, us. And okay, so we great. got relishes and, and jams and different things, uh, different produce. And so we might... We've kind of let that slide a bit the last few months, but we might pick that up again. I think those sorts of ways of sharing produce in your mm, neighbourhood. Beautiful. Like awesome. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but there's been a lot of picking and choosing where we can put our energy. And, um, yeah, you can't do everything, can you? We can't do no, everything. No, And there is something really lovely um, about buying direct from the farmers and the producers, and we have chats with them and they've kind of become friends now, you yeah. know, it's, they're in our week every week. So, um, yeah, we, we enjoy going and having a catch-up with them, which is kind of lovely. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So on to the book. Do you want to just give us a, give the listeners who haven't read it a bit of a brief outline of what's in the book? Sure. So uh, the first chapter is... Um, just sort of a, an introduction to what waste-free living is for us, so how we're living it. Um, um, and then from there it moves on to it moves on to food. So in uh, so in food we, I guess the, the the point the reason that we've got food so much so prominent at, at near the front of the book is mm. because. The average Australian household bin is up to half of it um, food and organic waste. Mm. So it's really one of the easiest, I think, one of the easy, or we think one of the easiest ways to reduce waste is to eliminate your food waste. Um, and for those who are already composting and already have chooks and don't actually put any food uh, in the bin, then that's awesome. But I think the reality out there is that a lot of people are throwing whole chicken carcasses and lots of manky bananas and all kinds of things mm. straight into the rubbish bin that goes into landfill that releases lots of methane because the landfill conditions are anaerobic. And so we really wanted to put a big focus on ways to reduce your food waste. Uh, and then we talk about packaging, and that's often where a lot of other kind of zero waste advocates will talk about packaging, reducing your single-use plastics and that sort of thing. Um, so, so mostly around food, is it? Uh, well, it, in in that chapter, it, there is a lot of packaging relating to food, and that did that did relate to what we found in our own household audit of waste mm. that our weekly waste was often food packaging, 
um, whether that was from, you know, meats or bags or, but it could have also been just like, yeah, what else was there in packaging? There was lots of, I can't remember. Also, you need to all the cleaning products and things that come My, in packaging. And... I think as I wrote the book, uh, we wrote the book a lot. Yeah, it tells you how to do bulk food shopping, um, some of your responsibilities as a waste-free shopper, and then there's a lot of recipes throughout this book. Yeah. Uh, and so each each chapter will will give activities and recipes that will actually help. Because we, we really wanted section, to. You've got the beeswax wraps. Yeah. So. That's true. The, the driver for the book really was to provide practical solutions and positive solutions for mm. people. So when it's dumped by something, um, often they, people will know that there are alternatives, but we wanted to actually provide a, a way that they could get involved in making that themselves. Mm. So, yeah. The packaging chapter also um, has uh, information on each of the different types of major materials yeah. that we're using or buying or consuming so uh, there's a whole section on metal the metal there's a whole section on glass a whole mm. section on paper card and a whole section on plastic just so that people can uh it's it's easy to to focus on plastic uh, and forget some of the environmental impacts of other types of materials and mm. some of the ways that we can reduce or eliminate uh using them all together or mm. or better use them uh so then we move on to um, are looking further afield in the house, so probably more outside the kitchen, how to keep a, a waste-free home. So it's it's interesting. We we uh, advocate using up whatever you have in your home. Just don't don't do a whole chuck it all out and start yeah. again and waste-free. It's definitely more use what you have until the bitter end um, yeah. because that's that's a better way to to use that. Material. So there are still things in our home that haven't broken yet that eventually will break and may have no other um, destination than landfill just because of the nature of them. Mm. We might have them years ago and they might be crappy, uh, and that's just how it is. But we talk about things like um, buying appliances and um, clothing, I think, is in that section. Yeah. Um, uh, well, clothes. Mending clothes, a lot of the, um, what do you call this section, all these, like making soap, yeah. making personal, care, personal yeah. care products. I think that yeah. section's great because, there's, I mean, the bathroom can be so full of plastic bottles of things yeah. that if you can find alternatives to that, that's a big waste reduction area. Yeah, it can be a lot of packaging and it can also be a lot of sort of unfamiliar chemicals mm. that they're putting in or on our bodies and... If you can think about um, what you actually really need, then it might only be a few ingredients, and it's almost to the point that we could we could theoretically almost eat most of the yeah. things that yeah. <laughs> we could have as like personal care products. Yeah, they're pretty basic ingredients. Um, yeah, and I and like what you said in um, the start of the book that it's not really anything new necessarily. That a lot of these are things that your grandparents or anyone's grandparents were doing just a generation or two ago. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of there are, we've actually, we kept a lot of the recipes very um, basic because people, um, we really want people to put their own flair on them. 
but also there are a lot of recipes there that people will be familiar with or will may already be doing and may not realise that they're actually um, doing those in their day-to-day lives. So they're actually on their way to living waste-free, mm. which um, I've had a few people comment to me, oh, I didn't realise that um, I hadn't really connected that by using reusable menstrual products that means that I'm reducing my waste mm. or, mm. yeah, things like that, that they're already doing so that they feel encouraged that they can then build on those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah, we've kept a lot of those those recipes are kind of, very basic recipes that then you can add your own little family flair to. So we really wanted to make it a, a very personal book. So it has those um, old family recipes of ours um, with the intention that people take it on and make it their family's um, mm. book. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, then you yeah. talk about celebrate and venture outside. So that's kind of like when you're going out and about and how to reduce waste there? Yeah, but also to get um, people to, if you're you're leaving the house, to really um, think about what waste is doing in nature and how you're interacting in nature. We've got a couple of things that aren't directly um, about waste, but they're getting you thinking about your your being a a person as part of an ecosystem. Mm. Um, and where you fit within that in your neighbourhood or in your local area. Um, and then, of course, there's the celebration section, which is all about what to do during Christmas or parties or mm. any time that you're coming together with other people because that can be a time where there's a lot of waste or yeah. when you kind of feel like, oh, well, you know, it's it's my birthday or it's Christmas. It's only, it's only one day. Mm. It's yeah. fine. Um, but there are so many things that you can do that help you to keep your waste to a minimum at, at that time that are actually really awesome and lovely mm. and um, a lot more um, in tune with the season that you're in. Yeah. And so it's it's not even, yeah, you, you're sort of enjoying all of, for us at Christmas time, for example, we really enjoy all the berries and the, the fruity cordials and things like that and, mm have with yeah raspberries from the backyard which you know it's so exciting because we only have yeah. that once a year yeah, um, just for a, few, a fairly short time it makes it such a treat doesn't yeah it? it's great um and then we we also don't have to worry about the giant garbage bag full of christmas um wrapping paper yeah. <laughs> growing up we always had dad would get out the big black plastic <laughs> Back, have it sitting next to him, and as we unwrap presents, the paper would go directly in the in the plastic bag. Yeah. That's horrific. Thinking back, that that's what we did. Do you want to say what we do instead? So now we're using fabric to wrap things up, and we reuse it every every year. Mm, um, that's much. That's beautiful too. It's lovely, and it's only used for special occasions, so it's exciting. Mm. Um, sometimes we'll we'll wrap a present in a bag that someone can then reuse or a tea towel. Mm. <clears throat> um, yeah, so we we don't have that big plastic bag full of wrapping paper anymore, mm. <laughs> and which also, is great. And so that that chapter also talks about going out, uh, whether it's to cafes, or restaurants, or events, and just um, the s- sorts of things that you might consider to to avoid a, a bunch of the single use. Uh, stuff that will 
often come into play there. So mm. whether you go prepared with your own little kit or the things that are relevant to you, you might take your own cutlery set or your own cup or your own straw. Um, some of those sorts of things uh, can be just another way to, to minimise your waste. Mm. Um, and then, then we, we have a final chapter which is about change. Uh, and so that's really looking at um, what are we going to do as a society going forward to actually reduce our waste. Um, we do find that as a household and as individuals, we, we, can, af- we can affect some change. Um, and living without making waste is made easier when you have more services and more shops and more people that are near you that are supportive or mm. that sort of complement that way of living uh, or not not completely resistant to it. Uh, and so what are some of the things that you can do to, you know, improve that situation depending on where you live, whether it's a, a matter of contacting a local um politician or a local business or engaging with your school or joining a community garden those sorts of, or, or whether you're cleaning up your local beach there's lots of different things that you can do out in your community to mm. to generally you know raise awareness of waste and help to reduce it and those that that whole final chapter could could be you know a book in itself there's mm. just so much in in the psychology around waste and our attitudes towards it and personal responsibility and privilege and access to resources and um, some of the solutions that you can do, how to engage with politicians and how to engage with corporations. Do we engage with corporations or do we just keep localising everything and, and sticking with small small businesses? There's, there's a lot to talk about. We also talk about... Um, the role that men should have in all of this conversation but are generally not having in this mm. conversation around waste. So we, we run Zero Waste Tasmania and I think it's about 85% of the members of that group, nearly 10,000 members, are women. Mm. Uh, like with all of our, our Instagram stuff that's talking about waste and our observations online, it's it's a, a female-dominated conversation and a lot of the action is coming from women, mm-hmm. which is great in, in some respects, but it means that men are, are there's, there's a big issue and, and a big thing that needs to be addressed, addressed so that more men step up and mm. take responsibility for their waste and realise that it's, it's not um, tarnishing their <laughs> masculinity to give, to, to give a damn about the environment. Um, yeah, that's interesting, so, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's heaps of you could talk about there, but I, I won't go into too much detail about it. But <laughs> but um, effectively, that's that's where we kind of end talking about um, the the positive things that that we can do to enact some some change in our broader community. Um, it's not just stuff that you're doing at home. You know, you can do that stuff home alone, but you can also realise that there's a lot that can be done out and about. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. And, yeah, there is so much in this book. It's an absolutely gorgeous book. It's so beautiful. The photography's beautiful, the design. And it's a nice sort of it's small book that can sort of sit on your coffee table, sit in your kitchen, be there all the time to refer to, to 
for recipes for absolutely every, almost everything you can think about, think of related to waste. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> writing this book made us realise how much waste infiltrates every facet of your life. Mm, totally. Uh, and that, that there's there's not many parts of your life of a modern person's life that that where waste is not relevant, not an issue at all. It's mm. almost always something to consider there. Um, and so we've tried to tap into as as many facets as we could mm. and it's definitely a solutions focused book yeah. it's not a book that's doom and gloom with with you know terrible photos of all of the way world's waste problems no beautiful we, photos we of all the great solutions yeah we want to emphasize that there's a lot of positive action that we can do starting with ourselves um to to address those big problems which are leadingly obvious to most people but it's just well, a lot of the time we have a lot of fun living this way. So yeah. we kind of want to um, get that across, yeah. that it's, it's, it's actually, a beautiful it can life. actually be really fun yeah. and enriching to your life. Well, looking mm, through yeah. that book, it just looks like a gorgeous life. And you know, <laughs> things are, things are beautiful. They're not sort of cheap and throwaway. You've got beautiful products, yeah. beautiful food, beautiful homemade yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> We, and we didn't want it to be uh, super prescriptive mm. uh, because we recognise that the way that we're trying to reduce our waste um, and the suite of things that we do might not be the same as what someone else mm. who lives in a different part of the country or the world might do. Mm. Um, but we that there's enough general information that anyone can take um, a bunch of positive steps from the different ideas that we have in this book mm. um, to reduce their own waste in some way so what would you suggest to someone who's aware of all the waste they're creating they you know they're doing a fair bit but they'd like to do a bit more what's a good way to next step for them to take maybe uh, well I think the best place to start is an audit so um, collect all of your rubbish and all of your recycling and then lay it out and have a really good look at where your waste is coming from mm. um, and then from there focus on that area first where whatever the majority of it is. Um, for us, we had the benefit of having, we were on top of our food waste already. We had chooks and were composting. So we knew that we needed to really just focus on um, packaging waste mm. so that was our, our main thing that we needed to target and that that was done fairly easily by changing a couple of habits but if if you're not at that point yet then I would definitely start with food waste yeah. um, and getting on top of that because it is half of the average bin mm. um, and something that's such a useful resource mm. Um, mm. that you can you know you benefit from it um, yeah. from focusing on that um, and I think if you can see those initial benefits you're likely to want to keep going yeah yeah and I think in your book there's just so many great things that you could anyone could pick that up and find one thing that they could implement mm. into their lives straight away whether it's a toothpaste or mm. yeah and although for us we found it was easier to make that pact and do it all in one hit yeah uh, it may not be as easy for other people to approach it in that way. They might be frightened to, to try that. Mm. But if they're implementing a few of the easier things, go for the lower-hanging fruit and yeah. and start 
there. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe we need to start a zero waste challenge and set a week yeah, aside. Do it. Do it. <laughs> All right, keep your eyes out for that one. <laughs> okay, well, thanks again for chatting with us today. And um, yeah, there's just so much we've learned, and you can learn from reading the book too. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Robin. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our website, pitmagazine.com.au, for more great content. And if you'd like to learn more about waste-free living, check out Issue 14, our waste-free issue.